And we'll see this in the chapters, specifically, well, in this chapter and then, and then kind of the opposite of like what happens if you don't listen in chapter 15. But the main job is listening. Listening is very important to the king of Israel. Um, so, when, okay, so Samuel, let me finish your time, Okay, Saul defeats the Ammonites in 1 Samuel chapter 11. It's this glorious defeat, you know, things are going really well. Um, and so Samuel then kind of comes, and it's almost like a wake up call. So Samuel begins chapter 12 saying, I've not taken anything from him. So we took over this. Well, first of all, he's really old, I guess. My, my Bible says the subtitle, or subtitle is Samuel's Farewell Address. That's not entirely true. He's been around for a while. Okay. So, um, uh, okay, verse 3. Here I testify against me before the Lord, before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? And whose donkey have I taken? Or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? Now, I don't to remember when Saul warns Israel about the king, what will the king do? He'll take him. His family, I mean, the king will take their family, their property, their livestock, everything. So Samuel is really contrasting himself to a worldly king, and not so much a king defined as worth to God. Um, so this is important for us is that you know he's laying he's like indicating himself, hey, I am God's I'm God's mouthpiece and there's no reason to shouldn't it. Okay. Then in first Samuel twelve, six through nine basically, this is really important because then he indicates God. Or God is vindicated, meaning he reminds everybody what God has done for them. So verse 6 specifically has this exodus deliverance as a theme. So what God has done in Egypt, he's still doing in the life of Israel. So this is kind of, if you think about, so what happened in Egypt? He saved them from the house of slavery. But not just that, but he also took them through the Red Sea. Fed them manna in the wilderness and then brought them blood. Uh, also gave them drink from the rock and then brought them So this whole scenario is that there's this template of their life together which involves salvation, cleansing, making, uh, sustaining, nurturing, satisfying, the water satisfies, satisfies them like presence, which is God and his people on the side. So God is still trying to do this with Israel. But what is the problem? Well, the problem is that they don't want to be just a God. They keep bringing another God to our lives. So, that really plays into what Saul does in chapter 13 and 315. Um, all right, so you know, so the, the, uh, these are the, this, this is the substance of the relationship is that 
there, if they were in slavery, that's slavery. We, we save them from house of slavery, but not just from slavery, but to bring them out into the wilderness so that he could be their God and they could be his people. So it, it's actually, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's kind of doctrinal in that sense. He wants to bring this relationship close. Alright, now, um, everybody said it's like Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 6. Now, this is something that you have to know about. Uh, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 6. And we have a lot of people like that. It's just very important. That's probably good enough. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 6. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 6. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 6. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 6.
different things in different situations. So, Judge Saul, Yeah, I think I'm going to focus 
important. Right? So it's characterized the relationship between Abraham and God. This is a personal relationship, not one based on quid pro quo. It's not one of incantations or improvements. Okay? So that is really important. And, and really, this is the tragedy of Saul that we have. Did we use quid pro quo? Okay. All right, so, you know, I mean, we finished chapter 12 and some faithful things. I mean, it's really nice, right? God's faithful, Daniel's faithful, it's a relationship you can trust. You know, if only Israel be faithful. And then in chapter 13, what happens? And fall apart very quickly. Which, again, we should not be too surprised if we've read the book of Exodus. Okay? Chapter 11, Israel is strong, but now, I should say now, they are cowards. Right? I mean, they're like, ooh, the Philistines, who they've already kicked butt, right? And now they're very afraid. So, this whole thing is like, is Saul already on his way out? Because the spirit is mentioned in Samuel 11. Now it's nowhere to be found. These are some questions that, you know, everyone. So, Saul doesn't even know. Okay, so then, what does he do? First of all, he, he, he offers this unlawful sacrifice. Why does he do this? Well, yeah, there's two main reasons. For those who, you know, might not have paid attention to Sunday school like me, uh, let's just review here. So, Philistines are approaching Saul's, like, oh, what's going to happen? Samuel says, um, yeah, wait for me. I think he says, did he just say about a Gilgal? And wait for a week, seven days, and I'll come, and then when I come, so seven days come. And then what happens? Samuel doesn't show up. Okay, we got the Philistines coming down. People are starting to scatter. They're freaking out. So, in order to not have the people freak out and leave, what does Saul do? He acts like a priest and makes a, a sacrifice rather than waiting for Samuel. Okay. Now, think about it. Saul, who didn't live up to the end of this bargain? Saul, but who else? Sam, he's saying, give me seven days. You're late, man. I can do whatever I want because you're late, right? Okay, so here's the thing. is that Saul, if we remember what prayer is about, and prayer is about the relationship, then you say, what? I wait. I mean, I always, I, I always think about this in terms of, uh, you know, waiting at the airport. I show up at the airport to pick somebody up. Some, you know, somebody I, you know, love. Let's, let's, let's make that presumption. You know, I don't check the flight status. I just go, right? I get there. Ten minutes late. Twenty minutes late. Thirty minutes late. What are you? Wait, you leave. Hey, 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 babe, you were late. Get yourself home. Hey, you know, what? So, yeah, so that's the thing is that the Saul is thinking, Samuel didn't come in seven days. It's about the seven days, it's not about the person. And so, because if it's about the seven days, then, and it's not about the person, then what can you do? You can just step in and do those things that need to be done and make a sacrifice. 
but that's not the way prayer works or worship works. And this is really important that we'll hear this thing in chapter 15. What's more important to God? Sacrifice or obedience, which is actually the work of listening. That's obedience, listening. Saul chooses the sacrifice. Now the sacrifice is not the, the actual thing he did. It's doing it in spite of God. So this is important that um, when God says, I don't care about your sacrifices, he actually does care about sacrifices, but what does he care most about? Their heart. Their relationship. And so if the sacrifice doesn't actually confess the relationship, it doesn't matter. So, so like for instance, literally speaking, if someone were to show up that day in Gilgal, and Saul, didn't know Saul, didn't know Samuel, didn't know, and literally just watched what was going on. That person would have said, well, it seems like a right sacrifice. He did everything right. But, but that's not the point, though. The emotions and the functions are not the most important thing. It's the relationship that God has created. And what God has created was, I have a people, I have a spokesperson, who speaks to me and to you, and he is what? Faithful. And so, as I am faithful, he is faithful. So if he doesn't show up on time at the airport, rather than leaving him, you should start to asking yourself, I wonder, wonder what's happening, where is he? Maybe go and ask the desk. Hey, where's what, you know, one, two, three? Work at it. Because the tragedy is once the sacrifice is over, right? I mean, the way the story reads is, like, he's, like, taking off his bulbs and, you know, cats, like, and surplus and scrolls, and Samuel, like, shows up in the vestry. They're like, whoa, what are you, what? So, um, this is really important for us, is that when Saul makes this unlawful sacrifice, it's not as if he's breaking a rule. That's why I don't like the word unlawful. He's breaking the relationship. He's, because now, again, who is he acting like? He's not even acting like Samuel. He's acting like other kings around them who do this. In fact, I, I apologize. I, I, I made copies of um, some reliefs from um, kind of the kingdoms around Israel at this time. And you can look at it, but there's a picture of him making a sacrifice. So, this, I believe, is. But anyways, so so Saul is not even acting like Samuel. He's acting like kings around them. Again, remember this was the struggle from the beginning, right? Are you going to have a king according to God, or a king like other nations? And what is, you know, of course that you know, remember, right? That's what Israel asked. I want a king like other nations. That's like no, but I will give you a king. King after my own heart, which of course is the precursor to David. So, all right, great. So this is, um, uh, I mean, this is, wow, yeah. So, of course, you know, Saul thinks, I didn't do anything wrong, right? Samuel shows up, Saul's like, hey, good to see you. I, you know, I've already taken care of things, right? I mean, he just kind of lays it out. I mean, he's trying to hide it. But, you know, Samuel pronounces, you know, 
you fool, or you're foolish, or you have to be foolish to You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. The command, again, for us, when we think in legal terms, we think of a rule, but in fact the word command is like teaching. You have not kept the teaching or the Torah, which is you have kept the definition of my relationship with you. That doesn't really translate well. You have not kept the way that we're going to be with each other. Another way you can say it. Okay. So, um, here we are. Talk about that. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's passively pressured, right? He, he, no one says to him, do something. They just, they're just leaving. They're out of there. Right? He doesn't like that. He's afraid of people leaving. He's afraid of, of um, well, we'll find out in chapter 15. He's afraid of being publicly exposed as a, a weak king. And, of course, a weak king will let people go and get in charge. Kathy? Okay. 
Well, yeah, we actually don't know. It could be the eighth day, it could be the ninth day. Although, see, this, we're getting into medieval exegesis right now. This is where Martin Luther steps in. Be like, we should really pay attention to words on the page. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yes.
So there's really no need for forgiveness when Jesus is baptized. And we all love to make sure we're not alone in our bed. So, um, again, but that basic premise is I don't believe you will forgive me. Oh, yeah, right. Either way, that's exactly right. Excuse yourself. You have no need for forgiveness. Or it's too much to remember forgiveness. What do we call that? Presumption. Okay. Um, should we should we talk more about that? Uh, oh yeah, orcs. Does anyone read the Lord of the Rings? I think of the orcs and the hobbits when I read the Philistines and the Israelites. The orcs are like this technologically advanced warrior race. Hobbits are just, you know, farmers. Now, yeah, Nancy. Saul and the rest of the army kind of unknown. 
very sunny California. But Jonathan is what? Kind of from a temple perspective, he's the next in line for the king. So Jonathan is actually reflecting how a king, a God-given king, acts. He acts in prayer. So 1 Samuel 14, 6 is... Uh, Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. Now that's a... He's like laying it down. He's not even calling, calling them Philistines. Uncircumcised. So how does he define their relationship? The Philistines are what? Pagan. Yeah, they're not God-fearers. Not that thing. They worship the wrong God. Okay. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. Okay, great. That's a great confession. Now, it may be the subjunctive is kind of hard for us to kind of think about, but what he does is he, he's giving God the freedom to what? Do as he thinks is right. So God could very different will die. It's not like he's entering into this like saying, God's saying, take thought because I asked him to. He very well could not. However, Jonathan acknowledges this kind of dual reality. Hey, if we go up there and they say, come on up, well, we know that God's going to protect us. But if they say, stay down there, well, we're dead on arrival. Now that actually is a actually a true statement. Again, I forgot to include this in your little packet. Um, there's actually a picture of kind of basically kind of where the pass was where they were walking to. Yeah, there would be no. I mean, they're sitting ducks down in the valley. So if they say we're coming down, you can't go anywhere. They're dead. Okay. So it's not like they say, oh, hey. It's either or thing. I mean, him entering into the valley is already a sign of faith. And if they have not attacked him already, that's a good sign for Jonathan and Tom Rivera. So if they say, come on up, it's all the more reason why they would do these guys to deliver the case to him. Where did the drop of these disclaimers? question. Um, it happens all over the Bible. Where, now, again, the, the, yeah, what I just said, though, is I, I'm hoping that kind of gives us a little bit better view of it. So, if you take a look at this picture, Jonathan, and you can't see from where you're at, but you come on up. You can see that they're down in the valley, and the Philistines would be up high, from the one side, it looks like a cliff, but there's no, there's no, if they come in there, and the Philistines are already said to destroy them, they can do that without talking to them. They just, I mean, literally, some of them, they just probably, just, in some places, they just have to put boulders over. So, so now, so the thing is, though, he's, he's, he can, it's not like it's a vacuum, where like, hey, 
uh, I'm going to cross the Grand Canyon, and if I walk, if I step off the side and I float on air, God is with me. You know, it's not like this is an unrealistic kind of situation. It's a, it's a feasible thing to say that if we're not dead by the time we get to them, there's a chance we can actually win. And based on that chance, I'm going to put my faith in God to see the deal. Now, think about it this way, though. Are they going to be around to find out if God is faithful or not? Yeah, either dead or, the, or God is faithful. I mean, it's just, it's the, there's no other choice. It's not like they're going to live and say, boy, I guess God wasn't faithful. They're dead. So that, that, again, so that's the whole point. Is they're entering into this whole scenario completely trusting God's grace or God's power. They're just even entering into this valley is already assigned to themselves in the name of God. Yeah, again, uh, I apologize to your picture. Not later to look at it, but I'll end up with maybe a bad spot. But there's a question. Right. Thank you. 
how union and human is like these stones. Nobody knows exactly what this is. Some say it was a black and white stone that was part of the ephod of the, the priest. Um, but in terms of like what it looked like, all it was is kind of an either or thing.
So it seems very hard for us to kind of imagine, and it is hard. I would say it's horrible. But in having two cultures who worship two different gods could not exist together. It's either one or the other. So anyways, Amalek was not destroyed. Oh, you have the reference to the Kenites. And you're like, this is like, this would be like Bible history 101 for like Hebrews back in those days. All right, let's go back to last year's lesson. The Kenites helped Israel when they fought Amalek. Actually, it's not Exodus. Anyways, Kenites helped out, so Saul gives them a warning. You better get out of here. We're going to come in and take care of the whole business. So what happens, though, is that they do defeat Amalek. God says they want them. But in defeating them, they didn't defeat them entirely. I think it's about the destruction of house. Translated in verse 15, verse 3, uh, or utterly destroyed. You have to get rid of them all. Yeah. Can't spare anything. But of course, what is Saul uh, doing? Yeah, right. So the theory of kingship is to listen, even more important than right sacrifice. Okay, so it's about obeying, it's about listening, it's about relationship. And so Saul thinks this is the best for what? For sacrifice. I'm going to show God who's respect. You know, God wants the person, not the words. So the thing is, though, is um, Saul acts like kings around him again. He's acting like other nations' kings. So when kings defeat others, they keep trophies. And the trophies for him were actually the king Amalek. That'd be, so we see that in Babylon, right? After Israel's defeated by the Babylonians. They take all the ruling class with them to show that even this king, the king of Israel, is in service of me, the Babylonian king. So he's called what? We'll trigger where that phrase comes from. Um, okay. So anyway, so Saul just say, look, I got my first king, Amalek. I've chosen on, 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 on my way. The thing in verse 12, though, is that he actually builds a monument for himself on a high hill. There's a variety of things wrong with that. Right? So he's setting himself up tribute to himself. Now, it's not Mount Carmel, I think. It's a holy mountain. That's where he that said, belongs to God. And then um, verse 24, he beats the mob, right? He, he beats the word of the people in verse 24. Because he says, oh, the people wanted this. So I just did it. I 
Yeah, so this it's a, it's a kind of irony and a little bit of dark humor, I think, because Saul's supposed to listen, and we're the only one listening, and what is he hearing? Family's listening, and all he can do is shoot to nothing. Yeah. Again, Samuel is the one who listens. He's the one who's faithful to God and to people. Now, of course, Saul just kind of keeps, again, he separates himself from the people. He's like, hey, I'm... He makes these great excuses. One of the things is that God says, Saul cannot keep my commandments. Saul returns and says, hey, it's just, I'm faithful to your commandment. There's a difference. God sees it and it's utterly just off the rails. And Samuel's like, hey, I kept your commandments. Again, Saul's seen his relationship in terms of incantations and like the gods around Israel. It's not a personal relationship with God. So you can say, I did what I did the right thing, right? I'm doing sacrifices for him, giving me the fast. I followed your commandment, your rule. And God, is, God says he, he can't keep any of these commandments. He can't keep my way of life with him. He can't keep my teaching. So it's a it's a complete, you know, they're on completely different pages. Um, again, so Samuel, or Saul now has not only ritually killed his son. But now he's utterly separated himself from the people. So a king who rules unto himself at this moment, he is literally by himself. He has no more people. Right? He's, he's gotten rid of his son and he's gotten rid of his people. He's king of who? Himself, which we call exile. He finally arrived now to the point. For Saul is idle himself. Which is a, um, again, that makes sense if you're like other nations. Especially in Egypt. Pharaoh is a priest, but he also was the son of Ra. He's a guy. So it, it is now, you're at this point now where nothing can be salvageable. But it's in this kind of this kind of depressing political scenario, right? I mean, Pharaoh, you know, even though he's an idol, I mean, he's kind of this glorious thing, right? I mean, look at all the buildings, this glorious, terrible idol. And Saul's this pitiful idol, kind of sweet little. So you have, I mean, um, yeah, this presumption is happening into like this place where he's all by himself. But the groundwork has been laid for someone else. And in chapter 16, that someone else will be included. So, Saul is a pretty typical guy. I moved very quickly through those chapters. Feel free to ask questions. Uh, but we should pray and go. And I mean, those who want to say you can't go to the Yes. Well, yeah, the thing is, though, is what happens, though, is he says, don't tell the people. I, yeah, between me. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's why it's so critical. I mean, it's, it's kind of just, it's kind of gross, right? You like, you feel bad for them, but you're kind of like, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah, well, that's right. So, hey, it's okay, you know what? God, you just forgive my sins, but make sure that everybody else, you know, doesn't really know anything. That'd be great. You know, like I have no, I mean, even public figure, right? Publicly sin. It's kind of ridiculous to think that there's not going to be any sort of, you know, public consequence. Right? Because the people know that they're supposed to be the destruction. So again, the king and the people are, are in this together, but the king should not be sacrificing the people. This goes back to the whole, I mean, there's so many interesting things about this, this whole notion of like the paradigm. Samuel does, I mean, sorry, Saul commits a sacrifice. He, he sacrifices the people to God for himself. And that's precisely what he's trying to do there, you know, which idols do, right? Rather than sacrifice himself, they sacrifice others. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. Lord, remember us in the kingdom to teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. If you're interested in reading, I think 16, 17, and... Well, if you get to 18, that'd be great. But 16 and 17 for sure next week. You guys know this is not in-depth, so please feel free to come with questions. We want to be done by, you know, May 8th.